Um, and the theme this year at Transformers, confident in the gospel, the power of God. So just really equipping, really brilliant time. Um, but as Dan has already said, this is um, part of our summer looking at um, miracles of Jesus. And um, that is kind of, I guess, part of equipping us for the wider vision that we have set as a church, which is um, that of bringing, um, building communities that bring heaven to earth. So this is all part of that context. Um, I have called it The Miracle of Provision, which is the title I was given, but the kind of the subtitle of Jesus Satisfied the Hungry. Um, and that is going to be the, the kind of the theme that we come back to again. Um, I'm going to read a passage. We're looking at John 6, 1 to 15. So uh, feel free to follow along in your Bible or on your iPad or your phone or whatever. But I'm going to read um, the passage that we're looking at today. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed to the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for even one to, um, each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So I'd, um, I'd suggest that the feeding of the 5,000 is probably one of the most well-known miracles in the Bible. It documents the miraculous provision of lunch for 5,000 men, although um, that would be in addition to women and children. So um, it's estimated that this was for up to 15 to 20,000 people from one small pat lunch belonging to a poor boy consisting of five small barley loaves and two small fish. Um, so first of all, let me set this. This is in the context of the book of John. Um, this summer, we have taken several miracles already from the book of John. And John's gospel, as already said in the talks we've looked at so far, um, is a gospel which has seven signs in it. Uh, seven specific miracles that are recorded, um, out of which each one he brings something really quite specific about Jesus' character. Very intentional um, in how he picked those miracles. So a couple of Sundays ago here, we had um, Jack Boko, who spoke about the miracle of turning the water into wine. Um, and this was just illuminating for me. It was, he brought out things that I had not um, 
thought about before, about the fact that um, Jesus used ceremonial washing jars to turn the water into wine. The ceremonial washing jars um, contain the water that they purified um, their bodies with to make them acceptable. And um, he kind of turned that on his head. And in, in the ceremonial washing jars, he made wine, which is the symbol that we celebrate in communion um, of Jesus's blood cleansing us on the inside to make us blameless before God. Um, then the last Sunday we were here, Steve spoke to us from the third sign in John, which was the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Um, and he looked at the fact that the, the lame man had a pretty lame response to Jesus, not really knowing that it was Jesus. Um, and he highlighted that actually Jesus was firm in his identity before God the Father. He knew who he was as a son of God. And this irritated the Pharisees because Jesus referred to God as my father rather than our father, which kind of spoke something over himself. Um, so the first thing I'd like to bring, up, bring out on this is that the chapter um, in John that we're looking at, chapter 6, is all about bread. Um, as I've said already, quite often um, in the seven signs, John um, would kind of have a theme for each sign, as it were. And the, the sign of um, chapter 6 is to do with bread. Um, as the, the kind of rhythm that John would use is he'd have the sign and then there would be discourse following it and that would sort of unpack the theme of the sign. Um, so the chapter starts with the feeding of the 5,000. It then has a brief interlude um, where Jesus walks on water and then it goes back again to more discourse to do with um, Jesus being the bread of life. Um, and during this time, he points out that people weren't following him um, well, that they were following him because they'd, they'd seen the healings and they wanted the healings. They'd seen the feeding. They wanted that food, but that actually they'd missed something. Um, that, they, that, that they had far more on offer than just temporary food and body healings, but actually that Jesus was offering food that would last. Um, so we have the, we have the context of... John, but we also have the smaller context of this being to do with um, bread and bread that will last. Um, quite a, a lot of us will know Dave and Velma Perry, a wonderful couple who were with us and um, who not long ago just left to move back to Canada. But Jay, uh, Dave regularly opens up the Bible to us. And one of the things that would make him most excited and that he would just be brilliant in the way he unpacked to us was looking at the echoes that the New Testament, the way that the New Testament echoed the Old Testament. Um, and he'd point out to us that how the New Testament was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Um, and this passage is uh, another one that we can look at that in. So both stories took place at Passover. Um, it's, it's one of those small verses that you just don't necessarily even notice. It, you sort of glaze over it in the rest of the story. But it's just a single verse. So this, uh, this took place at Passover. In Exodus, God miraculously provided manna and quail uh, every day for his people. And in the story we're looking at, um, God, through Jesus, provided bread and fishes. In Exodus, it was God providing through the man of Moses. In the story we're looking at, it was God providing through Jesus. In Exodus, Moses had led his people through the Red Sea. And in this story, Jesus then walked on water, walked over the sea. And what's the point of drawing these parallels? Well, 
The point is, is that they set up the story. John sets up the story to show that Jesus is like the second Moses. He, he uses this to draw on stories that the people would know through oral traditions being passed on to show the similarities and to lend weight to who Jesus was and what he taught. So he, he gives authority to Jesus and then he, he kind of sets that up to draw importance to what Jesus to go on to teach. So what did he teach then? Jesus taught that he was the bread of life. Later on in the chapter 6, he goes on to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he's quite clear right here. He is saying how much he is the bread that will last. So the manna in Exodus that we talked about, um, this was given daily. It couldn't be stored off. It went every, sorry, stored up. It went off every day. And attempts for people to stockpile it just went badly wrong because it just went off. Apart from, miraculously, um, on a Sabbath where the day before the Sabbath, um, there was an, they were encouraged to collect two days' worth. And that day it didn't go off, which I just love. Uh, the bread that Jesus provides to the crowds, that would have gone off as well. This wasn't, this wasn't a supernatural bread. This was a bread that was going to last, you know, to feed the people then and there. It satisfied their immediate need. Um, but after both of these, people would be hungry. They would need to go and have another meal. Um, but both of these stories point towards the truth that Jesus, Jesus is the bread from heaven. He gave his body as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of you and of me and of anybody else purchasing for us an eternal inheritance. And I just want to pause here for a moment. This is so key. I just love this miracle. I love the miraculous provision of bread. I love stories that we hear over and over and over again where Jesus miraculously provides for his people. Uh, when they need things, the number of stories that I hear as part of everyday life um, of walking with the church, of the, just the right amount of money coming in when somebody needed that bill to pay, or um, food miraculously multiplying for people who have kind of gone out and ha- um, on a limb and have asked their Lord for something and are trying to serve him. He does so many, so many miracles today, and they are so brilliant and so necessary. But the much greater miracle here more than multiplying food, is the provision of himself as the bread of heaven. Um, I'm really aware at this point that that sounds brilliantly jargony and Christianese, as some people were talking about at Transform. Let's not speak too much in Christianese. Um, Bread of heaven. Jesus is talking about at this point that he was going to give his body on the cross so that you and I can have confident relationship with God. Um, and later on this morning, we're going to celebrate that in um, taking communion together, that meal that actively remembers Jesus giving his body and blood for us on the cross. I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So do you know this bread? Have you tasted this bread? If not, I would suggest that now is a good time. The offer stands. So whilst we might think we know our needs, God really does. So in this situation, in this story, the people's need, the people's need that they perceived, the people's need that Jesus, they, they, they perceived, the disciples could see, was to be fed. But actually Jesus knew that more than that, they needed true bread. 
So whilst we might be acutely aware of our own material physical needs, whether that is hunger, thirst, finance, provision, Jesus knows what we really need. In the story of the paralytic who's lowered through the roof by his friends, Jesus saw the man's real need, which wasn't to have working muscles, though that might have been nice, but it was to have his sins forgiven. And Jesus, in his mercy, threw in the working muscles for free afterwards. But let's not forget that God's ways are higher than our ways. He knows what we need before we even ask him. So whilst we continue to bring our prayers and petitions before him, we can rest assured that he's at work and that sometimes he knows exactly what we need. And actually that might look a little bit different from what we're praying for. I went to some really brilliant um, seminars at Transform. Ruth was talking about um, Emily Harland and Rich Larkham and I was going along to them and they were a really rich time. And something actually that one of them said that really struck with me is... um, they were, they were encouraging us to pray for healing. Please pray for healing. Pray for words of knowledge. Expect the supernatural. But please don't stop there, lest we send people healthily to hell, which is what they talked about, highlighting that the greater need is that people have the desperate need of a relationship with Jesus much more than they need to see their bodies healed. So I ask that we have new eyes to see. There are situations where we know our need, we know exactly what it is, and we're asking God for his provision, and I feel that God wants to give us new eyes to see. And I was praying about this and asking God for some specifics, and I felt like he gave me a couple of specific prompts today. Uh, One of them, I felt like perhaps there was someone here who had been crying out to God for change in a work situation, that they had just hit a brick wall and weren't seeing any change. And I felt like God said he was going to bring change, but first of all, he wanted... Um, to give you new glasses, to see the situation in a different way, and to change something in you before he was going to bring about the change. And the other one, I felt like perhaps there was someone here who had a chronic health complaint, who had just lost faith that there was going to be any change. Quite frankly, you feel like God has just let you down, and you're discouraged. And I felt that the Lord said, this was time to lay aside your offense with him to turn over a new page, to choose contentment and joy in your circumstance, and that you would be immeasurably fruitful beyond your wildest dreams. So if, if one of those is you, then I or anybody else would really love to pray with you afterwards. God speaks because he wants to do stuff. Um, yeah. So although Jesus did respond to the crowd's physical um, hunger in this case, There will have been plenty of times where he didn't. We don't have a whole catalogue of multiplication of food. There are a few recordings. but um, So there will have been times where Jesus didn't respond to that need. Um, There are needs in this room where you're not seeing immediate answers. Um, And I'd encourage you just keep, keep pressing on for those, but also seek God for what he's doing in the journey. So at this point, I'd like to wind back a little bit just to think about a few of the details in the story. What I've really loved about preparing for today, actually, is it forces you to dig really deep into a story. And you see things in the text that you might have read a million times before and actually not seen. So the first character, I want to look at um, particularly Andrew and the boy. And the first character I'd like to to mention is Andrew. If we look at the text in verse 8 to 9, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? 
Okay, so I've read this a lot of times before, and I don't think I'd ever properly clicked at the ridiculousness of the statement before today. Like, why on earth did he say this? We're not talking about him having a catering van of things. He is talking about, oh, there's someone with a small pet lunch. Like, what on earth is actually that going to do? The crowds have flocked to Jesus. He's got them all sitting down. We're talking about 15 to 20,000 people. That is a lot of people. Um, And here is a man who is extraordinary, who has power, who heals people, and he's gained a vast following, and now this group is hungry. And Andrew brings forward one boy with a little pet lunch and suggests that this is in some way a solution to the problem. Like, this is just crazy. Is this not more than faintly ridiculous? One person's pet lunch as a way forward for lunch for thousands. But pondering on this... I'd like to suggest that perhaps after spending day in, day out with Jesus, seeing how he operates, seeing the things that he does, that Andrew brings forward this little boy and his little lunch because maybe, well, sorry, because he knows something of this supernatural man and what he's capable of. Perhaps he sees this little pitiful lunch as an opportunity for Jesus to do something amazing. There's no way that without a big move of God that this could do anything less. So with that in mind, I would like to suggest that some of us, for some of us, there's something that God wants to nudge you in. Maybe there's situations he's put you in. Maybe there's people he's put you near that he longs for you to use use you in. Maybe there's a little question bubbling up in you that maybe God just might, that you need to run with and not just let go of that might just be the gateway to the the miraculous provision through you of God for some people. All through the Bible, we see that Jesus, uh, sorry, that God is consistently delighted with the attitude of faith and that he responds to it. Uh, There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. uh, Just before they go through the fires, they say, my God can and he will, but even if he doesn't, Uh, There's the woman who was bleeding for 12 years that just knew if she grasped even the hem of Jesus' garment. The centurion who doesn't even um, need Jesus to go to his house. He just says, no, Jesus, you say the word. I know what it's like to be a man under authority. You say the word and that will be enough. Like, how much faith would that have involved? I don't think I'd have had that much faith to say, don't worry about coming to my house just say it and it'll be done and trusting somehow I think I'd want to like drag him by the hand back to my house in that situation we see time and time again that God is he finds um, attitudes of faith irresistible it's like he can't help but uh, respond in the miraculous in these situations um so I'd encourage you take a moment I'm just I'm going to pause for maybe 20 seconds ask God if there are situations that you are walking through that he wants to breathe faith into again and bring, bring about it. Maybe God just might in those situations. I'm going to pause just for a moment to see if God brings anything to mind. I want to suggest that if if something has popped to your mind, write it down or say something to someone. Or It's so easy for God to speak to us during church on a Sunday and then for it to get lost in the chaos that ensues after church going into the week. And actually there's something, there's something good about drawing a line in the sand and saying, no, God's spoken about this and reminding yourself of it. 
So I think it's worth mentioning here also that faith is a gift. If you're struggling to have faith, don't despair and keep asking for it. Keep speaking truth to your soul and feeding yourself with scriptural truth. Keep reminding yourselves of words that's spoken over you that boost your faith. Um, One of the things that consistently challenges me about um, amazing Christian leaders, people like Bill Johnson, is that the faith doesn't just pop up. You know, it's not like this is a man blessed with great faith. Whilst I'm sure there might be a bit of that, actually, when you hear him speak, it's because he consistently feeds himself with the truth of the Bible. He consistently rehearses over himself what God has spoken to him in the prophetic. He consistently feeds himself, and actually that can't help but bubble up and bring forth faith. So if you don't have the faith that you'd like to see, then ask God for it, but also feed yourself with stuff that's going to bring forth that faith. If Andrew, who spent every single day with Jesus, managed a simple, here's a boy with some lunch, how far is that going to go? Then take heart that we can start small um, and God will respond to you. Another question, have you ever wondered why Jesus even chose to use some small boy's pat lunch to make food for the masses? Why didn't he just wave his arms and make a banquet appear? It would be no more difficult for Jesus. This is the God who breathed the world into creation. He he doesn't need a pat lunch to make food for 5,000 or 20,000. I'd like to offer that Jesus does this because he likes to invite us into stories with him. He likes to use you and me and all of us to partner with in seeing his kingdom come on earth. He could have clicked his fingers and food would have appeared. But he gave Andrew and that small boy the joy and the privilege of being part of this story with him. This boy has been talked about so many times because whenever we read that story, we read of how this little boy brought his lunch. And really, he didn't do anything, did he? He brought his lunch. He brought what he had. And the disciples, they got to take part. They got to go around afterwards and probably to help distribute in the first place. And collect basketfuls of leftovers. How fun would this have been? I just, I love when we get to witness firsthand God and his abundant provision and the the graciousness that he offers of letting us be part of this with him. I'd like to suggest that it really brings joy to God as well as glorifying him when we acknowledge his power and might and ability to act. And to come before him with our maybe God just might attitude. He can do so much with that. So the other character I wanted to unpack a little bit was the boy. We don't know very much about this boy. From the state of his lunch, we can surmise that he was probably pretty poor. We don't even know if he brought his lunch willingly or whether Andrew collared him and um, hauled him up there. We we just don't know. But again, in the natural, this this would have all been pretty ridiculous if a sweet, uh, quite a sweet gesture Like, what on earth could bringing a paltry little pat lunch do? Perhaps this man had seen Jesus before. Perhaps he had himself the stirrings of faith that he could do something. Perhaps he just brought what he had because it was all that he could do. I'd like to recommend this position to us. It's both a humbling and a very powerful position, knowing that we, on our own, have very little, but that aware sorry but being aware that the person to whom we offer is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine that is such an extraordinary gift knowing that we have a bit but that we know the Jesus the God who can do everything with that little bit
And I'd like to suggest that we all fit into that category, having little to offer, but bringing it to a God who is mighty and magnificent and so much more able to do what we have, sorry, do with what we have than we could. So what do we have to offer? Perhaps it's our prayers. Prayers breathed silently or prayers spoken boldly over somebody. What about those situations where we sort of hope that the opportunity to prayer might just pass us by, but where we do offer enough courage to mumble out that we could pray and that that person responds positively? So often in that situation, I offer this anemic, fumbling prayer, Jesus, please, can you heal this person? Amen. And I've done this at such a, like a number of times, whether it's at a toddler group or um, at something, you know, at an event I've been at or whatever. And um, I don't have an armload of miraculous stories to testify to, but I do have a handful of stories where nothing terrible happened and where nobody ran away offended and where I gave Jesus an opportunity to step in and use me and use my prayer to touch someone. And actually, something brilliant that was mentioned time and time again, well, no, a few times at Transform, was that actually, beyond that, it's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to go on and heal or to go on and provide, but we, it's our responsibility to open the door, to pray, and to let Jesus come in and do the rest. So that kind of frees us from any sense of obligation beyond that. Recently, I went up to the uh, John Radcliffe Hospital with Florence for the morning, and um, there was a a long wait at the clinic we went to. Um, And I ran into an old friend that I hadn't seen probably for a year or so, and she wasn't someone I knew really well. She was someone that I'd had lunch with once or twice. Um, But we'd had a regular conversation when we had seen. Um, And we got chatting whilst waiting for our children to go to the clinics. Um, And it emerged after not very long that she had recently been given a really poor medical diagnosis. Things were looking pretty bleak for her and her family. And I stayed quiet. And she went off for her son's first appointment. And I gave myself such a talking to. Like, who on earth was I to know the God of miracles? To know the God who overturns diagnoses? The God who promises eternal life? And not to offer hope to this lady Like, what on earth did I have to lose? A bit of dignity? Well, sure, maybe. Who cares? Um, Maybe I defend her again. In the grand scheme of things, that really doesn't matter. Or maybe, just maybe, God would step in and do something and heal her. I wish I'd done more, um, but when she returned, (laughs) her son was going in for allergy testing, so she came back and forth. A number of times, which gave me plenty of time to give myself a talking to each time. Uh, but when she came back, I, um, I sort of mumbled that I would be praying for her. I, I wish I'd offered to pray for her right then. Um, but I, mumbled, I said that, look, I will be praying for you. Um, and I said to her that I believe in a God who changes diagnoses. And um, I've been praying and watching and waiting to see what God does. And actually, I wrote this a few weeks ago. And since then, I tracked down her number and texted her to see how she was doing. And um, to my complete amazement, the horrendous diagnosis that she had been given, which meant that she was unlikely to see her young children grow up, had just been thrown out. And that actually, things looked a lot less bleak. And whilst they were still searching for answers and she still wasn't fully healed or anything like that, some pretty horrendous doors have been closed. So praise God. Like, he hears our prayers, and he's, he's so quick to answer them. 
In this situation, another little lunch that I had to offer up was the walk that we have been over in the last uh, we we have been on in the last couple of years with Florence. So lots of you know, but um, Al and I, as Dan said, have three lovely children, and Florence, our youngest, is two, and she has a pretty significant physical disability. As yet, she's not sitting up independently. She's not moving herself around. She can't talk yet. And in the last, uh, we've weathered a host of appointments. Uh, we've that have been significant. That they've presented a significant cause for worry and despair. Um, medical professionals have bandied around um, various different suggestions of what could be wrong, um, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. There have been numerous diagnoses banded around from syndromes that would affect her both physically and cognitively to degenerative diseases, each one of which have been ruled out after long periods um, of tests. And yet there have been plenty of times of sadness and worry and concern. But God has remained faithful through every single one of those And the despair hasn't lasted. I'd love to say I've done it all without any despair at all, but that wouldn't be true. But it hasn't lasted. The joy has always come in the morning. Um, And whilst I can't pretend to know what God's outworking through all of this is, I do know and I can testify to his faithfulness on the journey. And that is a little lunch that I can offer to others. Whilst I didn't have the courage with my friend to offer her prayer then and there, I did tell her about this journey that we've been on, about how God had sustained us through the journey. And that when they were testing, last summer they were testing for degenerative diseases, and we had about two months where they said, it's quite likely that um, your daughter might not live till she's five. And actually, somehow through that, God held us steadfast, and in him there was a hope that transcended whatever whatever diagnosis we we, we might be given, there's something extraordinary and amazing in knowing the miracle maker. Not just knowing that there might be one, knowing him and being able to bring these prayers right to him. So maybe your little lunch is um, the walk you've been on and God's faithfulness to you through that. Probably a good few of you were here a few weeks ago, probably a couple of months ago, when Martin Dunkley brought a word to us as a group of churches about God bringing an upgrade He spoke from a passage in Deuteronomy 11 where God talks about bringing his people out of a land where they had to work hard and irrigate their land by hand and had meager harvest from it and into a spacious land where it was watered, the the harvests were watered by heaven and um, they had plentiful harvests for not too much work. Um, And he encouraged us to bring before God specific fields where we were asking God for upgrades. I'd like like to suggest and ask you that in those areas where you are longing and praying and bringing before God for upgrades, what little lunch can you bring? What small offering can you bring before God to see multiplication in? What I am not saying here is you need to strive because that's what we're talking about coming from and to. But um, what I am saying is that sometimes a little step of faith kind of from us releases something of an abundance and um, miraculous. Uh, sometimes this is prayer. I mentioned that already. Sometimes it's prayer boldly spoken over people. Sometimes it's actually prayer that you, you, know, you just pray quietly. God, God responds to all of those. Sometimes our little lunch might be, be our money or our resources. Perhaps there are people who are crying out to God for breakthrough in sort of provision in a particular area, and God's challenging you to put your money where your mouth is. 
It says in the Bible, no one who puts their trust in God will ever be put to shame. So you're in pretty safe hands. Another little lunch could be your time. How can you offer God an offering of your time in a field that you long for him to upgrade? You would know in this situation what it would be. Or maybe it's your faith. We've already talked about how faith is pleasing to God. And outworking your faith and declaring it might just be the little lunch that God is asking you to offer him. Or maybe it's simply your lives. Offering, walking, before, walking with God and offering him your obedience. Listening for the still small voice in the Holy Spirit and following his whispers. So what is your little lunch? What has your journey been over the years that you, and how can you offer out these things to God for his glory? I'd like to mention really briefly in passing the crowds. I don't have so much to say on this front, but what I do want to say is really all they did was turn up. They followed Jesus and they got fed, both physically and eternally, spiritually. There are people, there are crowds in our lives with whom we share life. And we have the opportunity not just to feed their physical needs, but we have the opportunity to offer them this bread from heaven that will satisfy them for all eternity. I would 100% recommend that you meet practical needs of people, whether it's food or, you know, praying for their physical needs. But offer them the bread from heaven as well. Let's be people who are the hands and feet of Jesus, but then who offer them the gospel truth. No amount of signs and wonders by themselves will save people for an eternity. They have to know this Jesus and that in Jesus that they have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So I'm just going to end with saying, how do we respond? I'm going to suggest three things. So first of all, do you know this bread from heaven? Because if you haven't, come to know this, this bread from heaven today. Uh, there's a whole bunch of us who would love to pray for you. Um, if there are people you've come with, then I'm sure they'd be delighted to pray for you. Um, and come before God. And just as we gratefully accept food that has been given to us, you can come before God and great, gratefully accept the food that he has given to us through Jesus. So please, if you don't know this bread from heaven, talk to someone and we'd love to help you there. Secondly, are there situations we paused before and said that there might be situations where God had some maybe just mites that might bubble up in you? Um, take those and run with them and testify to what, has God, what God has done through them. It's so encouraging when we come week after week and we bring forth a testimony over, of what God has done in our lives, what God is doing in us as a group of churches and as, as people together. So... What is the maybe just, maybe God just might, the kind of Andrew, oh, maybe God could do that there, and, and see what he does. And lastly, do you have a little lunch that you need to offer up to him? Is this prayer, time, physical, material action? You know what it might be. But God's in the business of multiplication. Don't get hung up on how small your lunch is, but um, turn your eyes to the God who multiplies lunch. So the main celebration that we bring from this is, the, from the miracle, is that Jesus is the bread of life. And um, we are going to take some time to celebrate that bread together now. And I'm going to hand back to Dan. He's going to lead us in that.